0: are ready to go okay you guys good clock and all okay now if you are a christian and there are people in this room that are not but if you are a christian there is something that you believe you may not even know that you believe it but most of us do and that is we believe that there is another dimension to reality in other words, the reality that we all live in and we all experience is height, width, some of us experience width more than others, width, depth, and time. Three dimensions plus time. And that's the dimensions in which we live in. If you are a Christian, what you believe is, is that there is another dimension which you cannot see, you cannot touch, you cannot smell, you cannot interact with in in terms of these three dimensions. But it is nonetheless there. Now, when we think of God, we think of God as being out there, right? I mean, the old conception is up in the sky somewhere, you know what I mean? But now we see so much of the heavens and everything else. We think, well, hes we know that he's in another dimension. We're not going to see him, but he's nonetheless, he's still out there somewhere, right? What we don't think of is what the Scripture talks about all the time, which is that there's angels all about that they can literally appear that they're here now that's not how we think about reality we don't think of God as being we, we like to say that he is but really you know he's right here right now he's not just looking in on us from a distance or he's got like a bunch of video monitors he's actually here see now I want you to think about that, because on the one hand, that can sound kind of weird, you know, this whole thing. I mean, we've got radio and television waves that'll go through us, and so we have some way of doing it. But just think about something for a second. It, 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 the way that Scripture talks about the spiritual reality is it makes it clear that it's, at any, at any moment in time, think about it this way. Here's a piece of paper, okay? Here's a piece of paper. Now... As long as this paper, let's just say it has, see it has this dimension and this dimension. So it has depth and it has height. But let's say it has no width. So that it would be perfectly no thickness whatsoever. So that if it was turned perfectly to me, there's no way that I could see it. Can you see that? I wouldn't see it because it would have no width. It'd be turned perfectly to me. And what the scripture presents to us is, is it is nonetheless, that dimension is right here and it is populated with angels, with God, with all kinds of things, and that at any point in time, that reality can be made visual to us. Angels can appear. Jesus dies, rises again, suddenly appears in a locked room. How? Well, this is what we're talking about. See, he's, he's spiritual, he's of another dimension, but then he goes like this. And suddenly we see it. This is not just a New Testament concept. This is something throughout the scripture. This is Elisha. Elisha is a prophet and he's, there's a king that's attacking Israel. And Elisha is saying, look, you know, I hear what he's saying. And so he tells the king of Israel. So the king of Israel is always one step ahead of this king that's attacking. And the, that other king finds out about it and goes to, a, goes to arrest or to capture Elisha. So he can't tell the king anymore of Israel. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. He runs back in. Oh, sir, what shall we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. There are more on our side than on theirs. Now, wouldn't you love to be able to do this? Okay? I mean, how many times have you just really been in the thick of it, and he'd love to just say, look at this. And he goes, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. See, it had become manifest. Now this is what we believe. I just want to take it for a moment, because again, not everybody's a Christian here, and I just want us to get this down deep, because I want you to understand, if, if I were to talk this way, back in, say, 1950s, when this graduating class from an astrophysicist institute, I can't remember which one it was, but if I were talking to the graduating class, and my commencement speech was about other dimensions, I would have been kicked out of the society, right? This made no sense. They had no framework. This was not true. It was deception. It was just fanciful nonsense. However... If I came to a group of astrophysicists now, I love this photo. This photo kind of communicates. These guys are thinking differently. See what I mean? They're already thinking differently. This is the stuff that they're schooled in. I'm going to show you a clip right now of what they're being schooled in right now. This is the stuff that they deal with, not as Christians, but as scientists. Scientists. This is the stuff that they're learning. And this is from about a four-year-old Brian Green clip on string theory. And he's about to do a new one. It'll be great. And they're updating all this. But what he's saying in here is still true. This is still what they're working on. And, and the interesting reason why is not because of observation. It's because of math. The math told them, in the end, there's got to be something else. Now people are out trying to figure out how to interact with it, how to, how to get a hold of it. But just listen to how he talks about this. Do we have sound on this? String theory says we're surrounded by hidden dimensions, mysterious places beyond the familiar three-dimensional space we know. People who've said that there are extra dimensions of space have been labeled as, you know, crackpots or people who are bananas. I mean, what do you think there are extra dimensions? Well, string theory really predicts it. What we think of as our universe could just be one small part of something much bigger. We live on a membrane, a three-dimensional membrane, that floats inside a higher dimensional space. There could be entire worlds right next to us, but completely invisible. These other worlds would, in a very literal sense, be, um, be, be parallel universes. This isn't a particularly exotic or, or, or strange notion. This isn't a particularly exotic or strange notion that there literally could be another world right here. (laughs) I don't know. I remember back in the 60s, people were doing things they shouldn't be doing, and they thought that kind of stuff all the time. (laughs) And it was particularly exotic, and it was a notion that was kooky. And yet, this is what they're looking at. If this is true, and we posit as Christians that it is true. If this is true, there's something going on. Did you just feel a kick? these two were both he had his head on her stomach and they just got smiling and they just got a kick oh that's dar- adorable I love it sorry you can do anything you want I won't look at you anymore you guys can okay we'll put a little curtain around you now okay all right but I just want you to understand and I want you, I want us to really get a hold of something there is something going on in the spiritual realm which we pretty much make a determination as Christians to not think about that much. We think about it in certain ways, as we're going to see, but we don't integrate it the way that Scripture does. And the fact of the matter is, is when we look at this, we're going to see that this is of a critical nature, what we're talking about here. This is so important, and there's a very, very simple, beautiful, elegant thing that God has in order to get us there. So that's where we're headed today. Our prayer is, Bill, those timer. oh that's phenomenal. Where are you, Bill? Okay, there you go. Bill does ushering and all kinds of things. Serves just with such a faithful heart—an amazing man. Batterman's uh, father-in-law, by by the way, too. John and laurie's dad. Thank, thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. And Father, we ask you to open our eyes, open our ears, open our mind to what you've got to say to the reality around us and. Uh, <clears throat> Father, open our hearts to feel what you have to say. With it to Thank us you, as well. Jesus. And Father, I just ask you now to also, uh, all those services are going on in the, in the Middle East right now. There's Thank so you, many Jesus. people there who aren't believers either, but there's, you, there's no atheist in a foxhole. They're searching for you. and I'll, Father, I just ask you to be there for them this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Bill, that was phenomenal. Thank you. All right, so I'm welcoming you to our Demystifying the Book of Revelation. By the way, if you like that science stuff, come and listen to Hugh, because he'll talk about that stuff in ways that are so accessible, it's amazing. It, to, even if you don't have a science background, you really don't need to have, uh, even be a science buff to hear things that he says, and they're just amazing. He's going to talk out of the book of Job, by the way, and he's not going to be talking about the theological suffering part. He's going to talk about some of the insights in there in a way that is just going to be deeply, I, I mean, the book is incredible. So anyway, but we're doing demystifying the book of Revelations. Now, what we've done already is, we've started at, chapter 10 last week. Now remember, what's happened in chapter 10 is, it's an interlude, and we're going to get to that in a second, but it's an interlude where there's six six trumpets that have been blown, there's a seventh to be blown, but six trumpets have been blown, and what happens is, there's a pause, an angel comes down, he plants one foot in the sea, one foot on the land, establishing that God is over all the earth, and he cries something out, to which, there's a thunder that cries back, But John's not allowed to record what's said. And what God's trying to communicate there, as we learned last week, is He's trying to communicate God always has more. There's always something more that God knows that we don't. So it demands a humility. It also demands a trust. And it brings us into a place of rest that God truly does have it. Because if we look at it the way that we understand it, we're not quite so sure that He does. But the way that He knows it, the way that He's got it, it's utterly in Him. And so that's what the angel says. Everything that God has pronounced is. It is certain. He says that, and then he says, but now we're going to further the story of Revelation. And the way that he says it is, he says, then a voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach so I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it it was sweet in my mouth but when I swallowed it it turned sour in my stomach and then I was told you must prophesy again more about many peoples, nations, languages and kings okay now that's that's sweet and then sour okay sweet and bitter here's what's being said The word of God that's written on that scroll, the things that are being revealed there that he's now going to prophesy, this is the will of God. And it is true and it is just and it is good and it is merciful and it is loving and it is beautiful and pure. And as you eat the true, wonderful, beautiful, pure things of God, they are sweet. But they are about judgment. And so there's a gut-wrenching part about them. There's a bitter part about them. There's a hard part. Now, what is God trying to communicate about the sweet and sour to us? I think he's trying to say, it's not just gut-wrenching for you. It's gut-wrenching for me. The plans that I do are good and right and perfect and pure. But don't misunderstand. Don't think that I take pleasure in the judgment. This is hard. This is something that is, (sighs) see? Having said that, though, I want us to see something about interludes. Whenever there's an interlude, it's actually introducing something new. Watch. Okay, interludes followed by new dimensions. Chapter 6, breaking, it breaks six of seven seals are broken. And then there's the interlude. And what's the interlude about in chapter 7? 144,000 are sealed and so they stay on the earth. And all the rest of Christians are taken out of the earth. So that's the new thing. Then what happens? Well, the seventh seal is broken in which the seventh seal contains all seven trumpets, right? And so what happens is, as these trumpets are being blown, this is judgment against the world. But what's new about it? Before, Christians were in the world and things were being poured out on the world. Now Christians are not in the world and things are being poured out in a whole new dimension. God is still pouring them out in a way, as we looked at, that there's a a redemption possible. But the point is, the other, this is judgment. This is the wrath, okay? And that's now being poured out on mankind. So we have a new thing. New, the new is that there's judgment on the world with no Christians in it, okay? Not that people aren't getting saved. They may be. They may not be. It doesn't actually say. It's just that God has set it up so that they could, okay? But then we go to chapters 8 and 9. The seventh seal is broken, and that's the seven trumpets. Now look, once again, we get to six of the seven trumpets, and before the seventh trumpet is blown there's this interlude of the angel and the thunders and so on see what I mean? and it's just like the seals so what happens is now is we've got this judgment being poured out but then the interlude happens the angel, the thunders, the scrolls, the two witnesses this is chapters 10 and 11 and then chapter 12 basically the end of 11 and then into 12 is where the seventh trumpet gets blown and we pick up the action again see? so what is happening in this interlude, that that's, makes things different the next thing. I mean, what's new about what comes next? Now, I'm actually asking this question. Can anybody get it? You have lots of hints as to what it might be, but let me just see if anybody's tracking here. There's even hints right in what we're talking about here. Anybody? We got a lot of smart people in here okay the thing that was new before was christians were taken out and there was something new that was then revealed which is god pouring out his judgment on a world that didn't have christians what is new from chapters 10 and 11 on actually starting at chapter 12 anybody nobody even hazard a guess wow it's like really passive today should we get up and do like jumping jacks or something i need some amen make this a gospel choir go ahead yeah very good, but 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 talk to me a little bit more. What would that be? What would be the new dimension? There's a big hint. What's that? It's... Yes, you do. <laughs> well, you you're right. It's not what I'm going for. Yes.: Yes. Okay. Rich knows all this stuff by heart. He could literally quote me the verses. Rich, hold on. Here's what I want you to see. Can I say it one way? Weirdness happens. Because, I mean, here's what it says, just what he said. The woman and the dragon, chapter 12, the beast out of the sea, the beast out of the earth. I mean, it gets weird. Now, this is a book that's already pretty weird. So when it starts going into women on a dragon and beasts from the earth and the sea and so on, we're sort of going to a whole nother place, right? What's the other place we're going? Now watch. We have seen a scene in heaven, and we see that angels are actors, that they're doing actions that are causing things to happen on the earth. But where's the focus of everything that's actually happening? It's on mankind. What happens from this interlude on against who? Mankind and the spiritual realm. See? Up until now, it's only been God's judgment against mankind. But now, after this interlude, it's going to be about he's judging both man and the spirits behind men that are affecting them. That are having an impact on their actions. They too. It's not that we're unculpable because we didn't do anything wrong. We made our own choices too. But there was an influence in the spiritual which is also being judged. And this is what happens from now until the end of the book. And that's why it gets so fantastical in its imagery. Because it's now talking about spiritual things. And worldly things. And it talks about them as if they're completely married as if they're completely one as if you were not just living in four dimensions but as if you were living in now the fifth dimension and you could see or even the sixth one and you could see the impact of that fifth spiritual dimension upon the physical and the impact of the physical upon the spiritual it goes both ways that's the way that scripture lays it out now that's important we just think about that for a second, all of a sudden we're, we're going into a place here. I just want you to see something. I'm going to show you a few scriptures. I could show you many, many more than you ever want to see. But I want you to see the way the Bible talks about this marriage between the spiritual dimension and the natural one, the physical one that we live in. Because here's how it starts off. This is Old Testament. And you could find many other places. Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. Did he possess him? Did he coerce him? Did he suggest it and David was vulnerable? We don't know. What we do know is Satan was against Israel and incited David to do something that brought a judgment against Israel. So Satan had an impact on this world in a real way. Okay? Here's a New Testament one. This is a great one because Jesus says, Look, I'm going to die. Peter takes him aside and he knows better than Jesus, always. Okay, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. To which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Now, is he saying Peter has become Satan? No, he's saying you're being influenced. You're not setting your mind, Peter, on the things of God, but on the things of man, which, by the way, is essentially synonymous with Satan. See that? See that? You're not setting your sight, your mind, on the things of God. Now, Peter has another thing happen to him, right? Because right before Jesus dies, Peter's just about to tell him, Satan, Peter, you're actually going to deny me three times. But before he tells him that, here's what he says. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, that's Simon, Peter. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Does that happen to us? Do you understand that that can happen to you? All Christians have had moments in time that they felt, yep, (laughs) I get that sifting stuff. Now do note something, okay? What Jesus says, the very next thing to him is, but have hope. Look, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now let me make it clear. Peter's faith did not fail, but Peter himself did. (laughs) Denied him three times. But your faith, the bigger thing, the more important thing. Are Christians going to make mistakes? Yes. Absolutely. So don't, do not think that you're going to get it perfect. But when you make a mistake, the idea is, when you've turned, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. This is that message that God's been saying to us over and over. And what he's saying is, is, look, what I want you to do is is understand. Yeah, you're going to fail and you're going to feel bad about it. But when you come back into understanding my love, my grace, how big I am, what's really going on, and everything else, I want you to go to your brethren that are failing too and that are scared and that are having issues and so on. And I want you to strengthen them. I want you to give them. See what I mean? See? Now... All of this, this sifting of Satan and being called Satan and everything else, do you think that this enriches a little bit what Peter says later in his life when he says this? Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Peter's not just talking abstractly. He's not talking metaphorically. He's talking from experience. (laughs) He's talking, this has happened to me. This is a big deal. See what I mean? So be alert. Be serious. Understand that this is going on. And it's pretty important for us to then walk right, right? Do you understand? It doesn't always turn out well when this kind of thing happens. You do remember Judas at the last supper. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. And then there's a, some things that go on. But then after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. Now, this guy's end was, he did betray Jesus for 30 coins, realized what a mistake that was, went out and hung himself. So he's within hours of his own suicide. Because he got caught. Okay? Okay? this is starting to be kind of important. Maybe in a way that we don't think about a lot during our lives. Now understand, see, this goes to all kinds of different dimensions. People that don't know the Lord, here's what the scripture says about it. Satan, who is God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Another way of putting that, this is the sower in the seeds and the one that gets snatched up. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. they don't really get it. They don't really incorporate it. It doesn't take that root to where it starts to grow up into something new in them. And what happens is the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. And they are stopped, deceived. They're stopped from coming to know God. Now, are they culpable for that? Scripture makes it very clear. Yes, nonetheless but do understand there's another dimension that is helping them along their path. See, and that dimension is culpable too. And so what it says in another place is Jesus is talking to people that want to kill him. And he's basically saying, why? Think about it, for the healings? Is that why you want to kill me? Because I heal people? How about because I delivered people? How about because I multiplied bread so that people could eat for free? What is it exactly that you're killing me for again? Let me tell you why Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he's speaking from his own. That's his nature. He, because he's a liar, and he's the father of lies. This deception is, is here. Now, it's not just unsaved people that are being influenced by Satan. Here's Paul talking to Christians. Christians. I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds, Christians, may be seduced from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. You see, I mean, I want you to see, the scripture talks a lot about this other dimension's effect on us, on this reality. It is not separated. It is not out there. It's something that's in our lives and happening in our lives. And it's causing us and calling us to do something about it. And it is why Revelations will go on in chapter 12 and then later fully in the rest of the book to say, look, bottom line, the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the one called the devil, Satan the deceiver, the one who led the whole earth astray, he's thrown out. All his angels are thrown out. In chapter 12, he's just thrown out. When when we get to the end of the book, we'll see him actually judged in fullness for his deception, for what he's doing to mankind. Now, you see the bright person sitting here says, why doesn't God just get rid of Satan now? I mean, you know, you know, big pain, right? Remember when we looked at Job? And, and we saw that in the book, of, this just a few weeks ago, in the book of Job we saw that what had happened was is that Satan came before God and gave him a challenge. And the challenge was this, your plans aren't good. They're not actually true. The only reason people ever worship you is because you bless them. God wants to bless us. But that's the only reason that people ever worship. They won't worship you just because of you. Your your plans are not good. You have to buy their love. Now Job proves him wrong when he's sitting on an ash heap with painful boils outside the community because he can't be inside cuz he's unclean. He's lost all his kids and all his money. And Satan worships, I mean, and Job worships God right there. When he does that, the challenge that Satan brought against Job is over, right? But I want you to think about something. That doesn't mean it's over for all of us. And it doesn't mean it's over for all of mankind. I want you to understand, how many thousands of years have... Have people been on the earth if you you want to take it the way that some would say it's 6,000 years if you want to take it the way that even the scientists would say it unchristian scientists it's about 50 to 25,000 years human beings as we know them with the capacities that they have 25,000 maybe 50,000 years that's about it now that seems like a long time and when you're living you know 80 years or so you know 10 years seems like a long time but in the face of eternity even 50,000 years is a blink of an eye it's nothing in fact, in fact, it actually becomes important. Watch this. Why does God let this stuff unfold instead of just stopping it? Why does he let it unfold? God never needs to prove himself to us. But he does anyway. He demonstrates who he is. Repeatedly. Gloriously. He reveals who he is. And not just to us like in the Job thing. Not just to us as we reveal himself, but to the angels too. You see, it says it this way in Peter. Peter says, look, the people of God from way back, those people of old, they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They didn't understand. God is going to come to earth and he's going to die and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. This doesn't make any sense. And they didn't understand it. But what they said was, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news about Jesus dying and resurrecting, and what an incredible, unusual, out-of-the-box, you know, one of those you-could-have-never-known-that-beforehand stories. Ways of God doing things, a revelation of God in Jesus Christ that is astounding to the natural mind, to anybody who looks at it carefully. What he says is, this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. The NASB has a little better translation on this because what it says is these are things into which the angels long to look. It's like this here's the angels, and we're going to do the bad thing, which is we're going to put them above us and they're looking down. Okay? But it's like they're, look, they're leaning over and they're looking into, we know that God is good, we see a problem in the world, and we don't see how it's going to reconcile. And God allows it to play out. And when it plays out, when it finally comes to its end, the angels and humans say, Wow. They learn something about God, which they could not have known, absent letting this thing play out, absent God revealing Himself to be so good, so in control, so incredible. So beyond our imaginations, even. See it? This is what's going on. Now, if the angels now this is where it gets bad, okay? Warning you right now. If the angels are watching you and me to see the stuff of God unfold, maybe they should change the channel. Find a saint for heaven's sakes. Because I don't know about my witness. I know about it publicly because I can put on a good face. But with the tech support person? But with the stronghold? But with the anger? With the this, with the this, with the this? Everybody's got their thing. You're kidding me. You mean... Now, now do understand something. The angels learn about grace. They learn about God's love. They learn about God's ways in our failure just as much as our victories. Which is not to give excuse or place to our failures. Quite the opposite. God has given us the ammunition, the way, the ability to be victorious completely. The fact that we fail is because we're human. And that's no excuse. The fact is, is we're to be getting better and better and we're to be growing and growing. And, and nothing I'm saying here is to give an okay to your sin. My sin. But what I am going after here for a second is, is it's important for us to realize something, which is is that they see things about God's grace and love when they see how he uses our failures. From Peter to me. See it? Okay, I got it. So what this means is, is I really need to get a hold of how this is all working so that I can integrate the spiritual into my natural much more deeply in my walk. Now, how am I supposed to do that? Well, is it like this? I mean, is this, is this how it is? Is this how Satan works with us? She came in the house, she had the box, Rev saw it. Rev said, what, another dress? This is ridiculous. Three dresses in a week, another dress? And she tells him, I didn't want to buy this dress. <laughs> <laughs> the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> Some of you are old enough to remember that. Some of you aren't even old enough to remember this. Oh, I know. Could it be... Save me. We need We need to take a more serious and sober look at how do we interact with this? I want to propose to you that these three settings up here are a spectrum and that on one side is one way of being with the spiritual and the natural. And on the other side is another way of being with the spiritual and the natural. And those are two that sort of extremes. And in the middle here is just one example of what can be in between this whole spectrum. And there's all kinds of different things we could have brought out, but this will bring out the general flavor of the breadth of it. So I need the first two people. So, okay, you're up here. Yep, Greg, come on up. Okay, now, oh, Julie, where's my marionette? Is Julie here? Where's my marionette? uh, look around. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, honey. That was to you, Greg. Okay. All right, Greg, you sit down. Yep. Caleb, you're on top. Okay. Now, when we think about the spiritual and the natural, this is one of the ways that we think about it. If you're sovereignty of God person, Okay, this is one of the ways that you think about it. This is the marionette. This is the puppet. We're not going to actually tie everything on. But this is how it works, right? I mean, this is the sovereignty of God. We think that we have free will, but really it's an illusion. God is utterly and completely in control of everything. That's what we think, right? So that's one way, one extreme of thinking about how the spiritual and the natural interact. Okay, now come with me. I need the other two. Come on up. Okay sit right here okay same guy going through different things okay go ahead have a seat now all right now this is that classic sort of cartoon thing where the guy is sitting here and he's got the he's got the god angel on one shoulder Okay, and he's, Ooh, sorry about that, Chad. But he's got, he's got the demon on the other shoulder, and they're whispering in the ear. so you whisper, do good things. You know, be nice to people, do this. No, you don't want to do that, so you whisper here. You see what I mean? So this is another way that we think about it, right? You know what I mean? We actually are having a choice, and we have to make a decision between there's a battle going on, and we have to, are we going to listen to God, or are we going to listen to Satan? That's another way of thinking about how we interact with the spiritual, right? Okay, so here's one more way, Okay? Now, this way is, is we're essentially all alone. I mean, this is, right? We're just, we're alone. It turns out that there is Satan. And again, sorry about that. And, and Satan, can, Satan can yell things at us, you know. Boom! <laughs> yeah, see? See? But really what Satan's doing is, is that when we do something wrong, Satan runs, scurries off, and tattletales on us to God. J'accuse, right? This is the accusation, okay? And that's what he does. He's the accuser. All right, so now that would be the spectrum. We're kind of on our own. We're totally in control. We got a choice. Let's look at each one of these. So come back with me, Christian. Pilgrim, right? Pilgrim. Okay, so now here's, here's the problem here. This way doesn't agree, doesn't understand that we truly do have free will. And we truly do have free will. Okay? I can tell you right now, I don't know how God... Here's the, here's the truth in this position, because every position has truth and error. The truth in this position is, this is truly God in control. Utterly in control. And God is truly sovereign over our lives. Completely so. How is that true, and it's also true that it's not a marionette, that it's also true freedom? I can't explain that to you. What I can tell you is, that's what scripture tells me is true. So I don't know how he does it. But I do know that he's utterly in control and that we've got true free will. But there's a problem with this illustration that goes a little bit more. The scripture tells us that before we know God, we're enslaved to sin. That would imply the marionette thing. It's not actually true. But there is this, what scripture calls it in, in theological languages, passe non or excuse me, uh, anyway, I can't remember it, but it's, it's not able not to sin. That's the state that we are in before we know God. Not able not to sin. Now watch, just by, when we think of sin, here's how we always define it, evil, bad thing, right? Somebody, somebody hitting somebody or killing somebody or murdering somebody or whatever, right? I guess killing murder is roughly the same thing. But the point is, is somebody doing something bad. Do you understand, that is not the Bible's definition of sin. The Bible's definition of sin is simply this. God has a way for you to go which is good, glorious, beautiful, and consistent with the way he created you to be. And you can go another way because you have a free will. And when you go your own way, even if it's not bad, even if it's not evil, it's still sin. It's missing the mark. Not going the way that God has for you. So the point is, is that, by definition, a person who doesn't know God doesn't follow God, right? I mean, that's the definition of it. So just by him going his own way, he's in the sin that we're talking about, whether he does anything bad or not. See that? So, okay, that's, that's important for us, but let's just take it a little bit further. Let's say he gets saved, so now he goes over to the other seat here. He comes over here, and now what we've got is yeah, you got to get rid get of all that old. Me. Yes, exactly. Okay? All right. So now we got these guys doing this and and the truth on this thing is is see, now what we can say is is this person has been set free in Christ and they truly do have a decision to make. Anybody who's ever been saved knows that there's still whisperings from the old. At the least whisperings. Sometimes they sound like a great big loud chorus. Right? But everybody knows that there is something else going on. So yes, this this scenario lays out that there really is a choice that's being made and that you're free to make that choice. But here's what it misses, and this is really important. This is not just an angel of God that's on his shoulder. This person has been made new. This person has that radio TV wave, the Holy Spirit, that dimension inside of him, and the Holy Spirit is now residing in him. And he's talking to him intimately, and he is loving him, and he is helping him, and he is guiding him, and he's advocating for him, and he's showing him, and he's doing all these things. And that Holy Spirit is leading him at every moment. And Satan may be saying old things to him, okay? But there is a bigger dynamic going on here in terms of victory than what just a simple choice would indicate. God has given us everything that we need to succeed and be victorious at every moment in our lives, period. That's the truth. We nonetheless will fail. It ought to be less and less. But the bottom line is we have been equipped. We've been given everything it takes right now. Okay? All right, so that's good. Now let's go to this third one over here. So here comes this third one. Now essentially, this one is the one that has the least amount of truth. Probably the only thing in this scenario that's really kind of true is, is the accuser running off and tattletaling That's about it. Because the truth is, is Satan is not distant from us. Anybody ever been tempted? Anybody ever had that sense of and, and the battle and everything? That's oh, not, that's not Satan calling from afar. That's right here, intimately. But here's what's ironic about this particular position. It's the least true, and yet it's the one that most of us live in the most. Not all the time. See, when we're really in a battle? When we know we're in a battle, we know that we're sitting in this chair and boy, we've really got to battle out because these things are whispering in our ears and we've got to do things. And we do understand that sometimes there is this sovereignty of God thing going on and that God is truly in control and we need to trust that and live in that. And then we go, but you see, at moments we'll be here, at moments we'll be here, but most moments, awesome, but most moments, this is where we're actually living. We're living as if the spiritual is distant from us. And it's not. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, guys. In fact, not only is it not distant from us, but when we are acting here as if it is not intimate to us, then we fail to fulfill the scriptures which tell us Though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. We are to be destroying arguments. We are to be every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. We are to take captive every thought to obey Christ. That means in you, every thought that comes up that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, you're to be taken captive in your own head. But if you read the context of it, you know what it really means? Other people's, (laughs) when they're being captured by some other thought than what is God, we're to be taking that thought captive by an effective presentation of the truth that goes into their hearts and that causes them to see the truth that's what we're to be not only that but God tells us we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies I didn't even know I was in a fight I knew I was in a battle for my soul and some decisions but I did not know that I was to be enlisted in the group of people that is supposed to be bringing about God's will in the world to Revelation I did not think of it as a battle and what he says is, we are battling against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. In other words, the demonic, the thing that is deceiving, and the ones being deceived. And we are to be doing battle with that. Now, I just don't know about you, but I, you do not find very many people that are oriented to that in modern day American Christianity. You just don't. That's not how we're we're oriented to being good ourselves and to doing good and to doing right by, but we're not oriented to being a witness for the heavenlies, a witness to angels about the things of God, and we're not oriented to being in his army. It's not how we talk. We don't even use that language. The hymns of old were filled with warrior imagery. Now it's love and tenderness and forgiveness, and, and that's all great. It's all true. But it's not all. There's more to it. And we're supposed to be engaged in it. Now watch, here's what happens, see? So there's a high road that is the road that God wants us to be on. A high road, and it's it's got everything firing the right way. And then on this side of the ditch is having a form of godliness having denied its power. That's the one I've been talking about right now that I think most people live in, even in a charismatic church like ours. Because the things of the world are just... They're the important things, and that's really where we're living as if we're alone. But every once in a while, somebody gets woken up, and they, they start to come up, and it'd be lovely if they'd always come up right to the high road, but it doesn't seem like it happens that way. Most of the time, with most people, what happens is you end up going too far, making an overcorrection, and you end up in a ditch over here that would be called charismania. And I'm saying this very lovingly because I really wanna I really want to be careful here. Okay, let me, let me put it this way. If I have to choose between a dead person and a charismaniac, give me the charismaniac. But I'd rather not have to be the one. I'd rather be in the right place. I'd rather be in the high place. I'd rather be in a place that is actually lined up with what God wants me to be lined up with. That's what I would like. And guess what? God has given us a little thing that ain't so little at all. Jude talks about people that are getting into the excesses. And they're going overboard. And they become experts in things that God himself said don't become experts in. God said don't become experts in the spiritual things. I'm letting you know it's there. But what I want you to do is something different than become focused on it. Spending your life focused on Satan is going to lead to What? not good. Spending your life focused on Christ is going to lead to what? How do we stay in this high road? Jude talks about people who are reviling because they think they know all these things and they think they have all this authority that they don't. And Jude has to point out, he says, look, even the angel, Mike Angel, even the archangel Michael, when he was confronting Satan about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce a reviling accusation. And you will have prayer meetings all the time where people will talk to the like, I, you, you don't know, but it says right in the scripture. Even the angel Michael, even the archangel Michael did not dare to do that. So here's what the guy that wrote Jude says to do in order to stay in the right place. And we could look at Paul on this very much too, but let me just do Jude. Here's what he says. You, dear friends, carefully build yourself up. How? Or where? In this most holy faith. How? By praying in the Holy Spirit. That is what causes you to stay right at the center of God's love. Praying in the Spirit. This is a charismatic church. I'm I'm venturing to guess, I won't won't go for a show of hands, but I'm venturing to guess that mm, 70% of the people in this room have at some point in time spoken in tongues. Okay, now right now, already the other 30% are going, ooh. And then there's another 10% that don't know the Lord, and they're going, eh. Okay. I want to make it clear. I'm going to call it praying in the spirit because it just sounds different in our ear. But I want you to understand, I'm talking about doing something. I'm talking about praying in a way where your vocal cords, your syllables, your mouth, your tongue, the way that you form words is in play. But it isn't a human language. It isn't, it isn't a language at all in any human sense whatsoever. What is happening is, now watch this, you are taking an action. You're making a decision. You're making a choice. People think about praying in tongues. No, God's got to possess me so that I go, blah, 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 blah. Okay? That's not, that's not what it is. It is an offer by God. It is him saying, if you will do something with your natural, and if you, in doing that natural thing, if you'll understand something, this is what Romans says. Do you understand that you not only do not know what to pray for, you don't even know how to pray for it. Here's what that means. We know a lot, and it's not even a drop in the bucket compared to what he wants to do through us and with us. So what we do is we do a physical action of we choose to begin to speak, and then we ask the Holy Spirit to inhabit it. It is an act of humility to pray in tongues because it's foolishness to my natural mind. It's saying the stuff I understand is not what's important. The stuff that he understands, the stuff that the Holy Spirit who lives in me and knows the mind of God and knows everything, that's the one that knows everything. And what I need to do is I need to humble myself and do what's foolishness to the natural mind in the physical realm, asking the Holy Spirit to infuse it, to inhabit it towards his revelation. Interpret. God, bring me. Not every time that I ever speak in tongues or pray in the Spirit do I get an understanding of what I'm praying for, but most times. And what I can tell you is every time, here's my pattern. Lord, I am humbling myself because I do not know what to pray for nor even how to pray for it. And I am asking you to inhabit this act that I take in the natural realm. Do you see what just happened right there? This is the perfect marriage between the physical and the spiritual. The perfect marriage. This isn't me acting regarding the spiritual in the way that I think I should. See? In the way that I understand it to be. This is me saying, there's stuff going on in the spiritual which I do not know. So I'm going to take action in the natural to lay down that so that I might be empowered. So that I might be infused. So that I might get revelation. So that I might start praying in alignment with the high road. Do you see it? Oh, my gosh. All of a sudden, this praying in the spirit thing, which, by the way, is mentioned over and over and over and over. Paul saying, I pray continually. Real personal here. In 1983... I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is simply to say I got empowered to fulfill his will. From that day, I have pursued him with, I like to say all of my strength, heart, mind, soul. It's not true. There's been times when I've not done that fully. But I can tell you, I don't think I've ever dipped below about 80% of what my life was about was about pursuing him. Because when I realize this connection and so on, now you need to understand, see, the first thing that I got into is prosperity doctrine. Because I was going after God zealously, and prosperity doctrine says this about God, which is absolutely true. Here's what it says. God wants to bless you. And God does want to bless you. The book of Job proves it. God wants to bless you. There's a problem with blessing you, and he's got to work it through it and all that. But the bottom line is, is God's heart is to bless you, not just with all the things that you want in the material realm, but with himself and who he is. He wants to bless you by raising him up, by raising you up, so that he can have communion and be truly one with you. God wants to bless you more than you've ever even begun to imagine. And that's what prosperity doctrine says. And praise God they say it, and may they keep saying it until the day they die. But here's the truth about prosperity doctrine, if you've been in it. It's not actually, and this is a pun intended, it's not actually a rich God. It's not richly and fully and truly the fullness of God. It focuses on an aspect that is true and it drives it home in a good way, but it also makes you miss the fullness of who God actually is. So there's good, there's God in it, but then there's something else. What might that be, right? So then we went into signs and wonders, and signs and wonders are miracles. My own mother went to a signs and wonders conference where person guy was praying for people for healings and so on. My own mother has a testimony of a healing which was absolutely true, verifiable by the doctors, a genuine, for real healing. And that wasn't the only one that we saw. We saw tons of them. And we spent about three or four years there. Because God was doing miracles. And isn't that what we want? Right? Don't we want to live in a place of miracles? And we lived there for three or four years, and what we found out was that, yes, God was very genuinely doing miracles because people who come to God in need, God has a heart and he answers their need. But boy, I got to tell you, in the movement itself and in the spirit of the movement, there was a carnality, which was shocking to find out in the end. I mean, this is all about miracles and the spiritual and everything else. And yet there's a deep carnality in it, the circus and the show and the, and the, and the more and the always more and always needing to be more and, and all this stuff. There was, a, there was a, it wasn't God. Now by that time, I've made two large errors and it's taken me about seven or eight years. So that's a long time. And now I'm starting to get a little more sort of discerning. And I, I went to seminary and inner healing was huge in seminary and there's real truth in inner healing there really is and anybody who's been around it for any length of time knows that there's a lot of problems too and then i could go through the i could go through spiritual mapping with you where they began to interview demons and find out and this comes from daniel daniel says the prince of persia withstood me and so they'd interview demons and they'd find out that the maps over a territory and then they'd go and they'd pray against the thing and many of the people in this room have done that before we don't do it anymore why It turned out it wasn't as God as we thought it was. It's not that there wasn't truth in it. There is truth in it. There's always truth in it. There's always truth. But there was something wrong with it too. A discernment. And then Toronto happens, and then Brownsville happens, and Lakeland happens, and and many of you know about these things. Many of you do not know about these things. It's not important to learn about them. What's important to know is, is if you're zealously going to pursue God, you are going to find a lot of things out there to zealously pursue Him regarding. And what I'm here to tell you, and this is absolutely true, and just mark it down and remember it forever. Every single quote-unquote move of God does have God in it and does have Satan in it, period. I'm really sorry to say that, but the Great Awakening, the Father of the Great Awakening, said exactly that. After the Great Awakening was over, God was in it, and so was Satan. Jonathan Edwards smartest theologian smartest man many say ever in the history of america and that's what he learned there's always a mix so what we have to become is discerning because there's a ditch over here and there's a ditch over here and how do we walk right and here's what god gave us praying in the spirit here's what i want to tell you after having gone through a couple of big errors and then being very much closely connected with others that were going on and and there was God in them and so on. I just learned something. I learned that if I will spend my life in an attitude of praying in the Spirit, God will reveal to me what I'm to be, what I'm to do, and how I'm to do it. If I will get out of my mind the long-term plan, not that it's not okay to make them, but if I will get out of my mind that that's truly and utterly and completely God and it's the only thing that could ever happen in my life if I will simply get into my mind that today has enough troubles of its own and that I am to act and interact with the Spirit today in what He wants me to be and how He wants me to be and what He wants me to do and how He wants me to do it then what will happen is I will be that witness unto the heavenlies I will be that person who is lined up with the things of God this is the truth and this is important because this is where we need to be. Because this is the witness that brings other people to Christ in a real way. This is the one that keeps us being the witness to all. So we're going to do something right now. Musicians, Just, I just need like one musician to come up and just play a little background for me. Okay, I don't know who that would be, but just give me a little something behind it. We're gonna do something right now, and I need you to understand Corinthians, because Corinthians says, if we do things in a way that an unsafe person could walk in and say, you're crazy, then we're not doing it God's way, period. So we're gonna do something here. I'm gonna ask everybody here to pray in the spirit, but I don't want you to pray to where even your neighbor can hear you. I just want you to pray to yourself. Now, some of you will say, well, I've had people surround me, you know, like they do, and and they were laying hands on me, and, and they prayed for me, prayed for me, and I never got the gift. I wanted to say bullcrap, but I won't say that. Oops, I said that. That's not the right way to think about it. It's not that. It's a choice. Anybody who knows God, anybody who has ever asked God to empower them, and if you haven't, just ask him now. Empower me to do your will. Get me in a place where I can use this incredible thing that helps me stay balanced. Help me to get there, Lord. If you just ask him to do that, Luke 11 tells us something. If we ask God for a good thing of the spirit, he's not going to give us a scorpion, he's not going to give us a rock, he's going to give us the good thing that we asked for. And people that say, well, I never got the gift and it never happened to me, you're looking for something to happen to you and that's not what you should be looking for. You should understand that this is an act of your free will, chosen freely. Because you understand scripture and you understand what it means. It is a humbling of yourself. It is a bending of your knee. In order to come before the God of gods and the the Lord of lords. In order to come before the God who is all. And I just want you to just, just bend your knee and your heart and your mind. And I want you to come before him. And I want you to just begin to speak in the natural. And ask the Holy Spirit who knows the mind of God. And who will inhabit your prayers to begin to pray a thing unto the Lord. Now you may have something in your mind of someone to pray for in And if you want to do that, I don't care, it's fine. But I don't care about that. What I care about is, is that we would go before the Lord and that we would begin to exercise this incredible, important, beautiful, wonderful gift. This thing that he has given to every Christian. And if you're not a Christian right now, all you got to do is say, make me one. Because you remember when the Gentiles did this, Right when they heard that Jesus forgave their sins, they began to speak in other languages. They began to speak in tongues. They began to pray in the Spirit. So what I'm asking you to do now is I just want you to, just all of us together, this is, again, not so that a neighbor can hear. Please be respectful. Please be proper. But I just want you to understand this is for everyone now. This is what Paul says. This is what God says. This is what he's doing. He has given us this beautiful thing. So just would you please close your eyes. And just begin quietly under your breath. Just begin to, to, to just pray. And it comes out, it may come out initially as a groaning. It's a prayer of the heart. And you're just, it's just, a, it may just be a groan and a, uh, and a, but just as it would be a little bit more something, don't think of it as a language that God's got to give you a syllable. It's just you choosing to act in this world in a way that God can inhabit. Thank you, God. Just begin to do this. Thank you, God. Just begin to pray. And as you begin to pray in the Spirit, be asking Him all the time, line me up with you and, and reveal to me anything that I might be praying with that I might also pray it in English. Because it's revelation, is its, is its most common end. doesn't have to be, but thank you, Jesus. Just begin, God. just take a deep breath and just begin to pray. Don't expect something to happen to you. You take a step towards God and he comes and inhabits your humility. Thank you, Jesus. Now, when a word is given, we're to discern that. How do you discern it? You pray in the spirit. You let the Lord do it. As as Babette began to speak, the thing that I saw was that image of a seed with chaff around it is exactly what I've been saying. That seed is that precious and pure thing, and Satan is always trying to cover it. But it's the precious and pure thing that's going to grow into something, and so you need to get rid of it that there might be this pure thing here that can just begin to take root and grow in you. Thank you, Jesus, just beginning, just keep praying. Understand I take a big risk when I do this because I know that some people just might freak them out, might do, i try to do it delicately and lovingly and scripturally and everything else, but need to understand something, I do not care about being a fool. I care about whether or not I'm pressing into the things of God and bringing other people to that place. That's what's important. To God in Jesus' holy and precious name, by the power, by the glory, by the grace, by the love poured out, I would ask you that you would come upon your saints now and that what would happen is is this would be the beginning of a revitalized praying in the spirit life for most And for those who haven't, that it would be the beginning of something and that we would stop doing this periodically only when we get into trouble or once every couple of weeks even, but that this would become a daily thing, that this would become a devotional thing, that this would become a thing throughout the full of our days, that in Jesus' name, like Paul says, I pray that I speak in tongues more than you all. Because we're always trying to find you in every situation, in every moment. We're always going after finding you. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, take this congregation now. And those who have asked, God, let them enter. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, get us lined up with the things of the Spirit and the things of this world. Get us lined up. In Jesus' holy and precious name. And all God's people said... If you wanna talk to me afterwards, I usually go back there to meet new people. Today, I'm gonna be up here, over here, and I want you to come forward. If you wanna talk to me about this, if you have questions or anything else, I'm here. If people that know about helping people pray in the spirit and so on wanna come forward and give me a hand if I need it, I'd love that. But bottom line, God has given us a bike to ride. And when we do, it goes swiftly and beautifully, and it is balanced in all ways. Thank you, Lord. We're going to take an offering now. Could the ushers come forward? I'd ask you just to pour out. This is a a natural time. It's speaking to a spiritual truth. This is a thing that the angels look into, that God himself sees. This is you making a vote in your heart and saying, I'm in. So, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, line up the natural with the spiritual. Bring it all to ever fuller richness in your precious and holy name.